All right, all right. <laughs> Welcome to Into Theology. That was me being Matthew McConaughey. From... And I'm by Matthew McConaughey. And uh, <laughs> no, uh, from are... um, Dazed and Confused. All right, oh, okay, all right. okay. <laughs> I think the one that I know of him recently is like Lincoln Learn. I'm really old on movies, although I did actually take my my four-year-old son to a movie recently. Went to The Boy and the Heron. Um, it's a cartoon. Uh, it's one of the, probably the final film by Hayao Miyazaki, who I love. Oh. And we went there, but I didn't know this. We went there and it was in Japanese. <laughs> My four-year-old's <laughs> with me. So like, oh, do you want to go, buddy? And he's like, ah, oh, let's just stay. So I had like had, and there's subtitles, but he can't fully, we can't really read it. So I explained <laughs> it the whole time. <laughs> the boy, you know, but uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. That was like the first movie movie that I've been to in a theater in, you know, in a while. So. Oh, that's funny. That's cool. Um, so we're doing Thomas Aquinas on the Summa. We're in questions 20 and uh, 21 in book one of the Summa. Basically on God's love and, well, then it was mercy and justice as well. And this is, I think you and I both found these two chapters or these two questions really, really encouraging. I think yeah. we kind of struggled through a few difficult chapters that maybe you're like, listen, maybe lack no, the motivation. Listen, listen, to... listen, 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 listen. Okay. So yeah. like, have you even posted the... Um... No, no, I, I'll do that after this. Then we'll have... Okay, yeah. So then we don't be like next totally week. That horrific. makes sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, because uh, the one we did on uh, on God's will, I was a dog's breakfast on my part, man. Like I was like in the thick no, of it. I think it was a highlight. Plan. I like it. Uh, you look way better than I do in that one. I look like we'll a put total. you on TikTok as like the Bible answer guy or something. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm glad that I've had you know classes are done, exams are done. I actually had some time to like actually work. Well, I was gonna say also if you're on YouTube, leave a comment about Ian's outfit. Tell me if it makes yeah. sense if it, if it matches. Yeah stripes and plaid you know it goes well together just let us Sorry know if you, if you if you struggle with like flashing lights or something this yeah. might throw you into <laughs> I, some sort I almost, of I almost had some issues anyway sorry um, anyway all that's to say is i was an idiot in the last one i hope i'm not going to be an idiot in this one and i was actually oh. just personally i don't know there was just some cool things in here especially in the love uh section uh question 20 that i just i found interesting but also like encouraging so and given that we're now you know coming into the end of advent um coming up to to christmas and christmas tide this just kind of it's just it was a suitable reading like it just yeah, felt it like great. good reading about why god came became man um you know he saved us because he loved us so i think you wrote about something about that like recently didn't you yeah yeah uh yes the bible yeah. I, I was responding to interesting people on the internet who get really theological and forget about the really simple truths in scripture like god loves us for god so loved the world the, I, I, I said this to you earlier but thomas aquinas in the book three he says the re basically the reason why jesus was born was because you know god loved us and then he yeah. quotes john three sixteen for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son you know so that etc and, yeah. and there's all these passages that just say like you know God loved us while we were yet enemies or sinners. First John says, you know, God, this is this is love. Basically, that God or that that the Son was manifest in the world, and He loved us and died for us and forgave our sins. And to me, it just strikes me that like the love of God is such a simple truth in, in Scripture, but it's a profound one that is a, is a motivating factor for why He, God the Son in particular, became human. It's, it's you know, funny it's too because, like, I mean, part of the debate that you were addressing—I mean, I know we need to get into this—but yeah. um, part of the debate that you were addressing is almost like they were, you know, some people were wanting to pit 
say God's love against something like his glory. It's like, no, God does everything for his glory. Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't yeah. see that. It's like, well, do you not understand that like if God's simple and he is his attributes, <laughs> like it's, you're not yeah. hitting one against the other anyway. But, um, no, it, you know, and, and actually Aquinas in the next chapter, we're, we're going to read today, but mercy and truth, or sorry, mercy and justice. What Justice is a form of truth. We'll see in a right, second. Right. But basically, they're the same thing. And what's really important about this whole glory conversation is I mean, the Bible talks about glory in a few different ways. It's it's your reputation and so on. But glory in particular is the manifestation of a, of the wonderful things that you're doing. So like for God to create a world and then to come down and save the world in this miraculous, wonderful incarnate work out of love is the same thing to say that it's glorious. Yeah, like there's it's no, just, it's like an expression of his not glory. An either or like people say, I, so I got to have a quick thing to get off my shoulder and then, then read the thing. <laughs> like, this is more earlier in my life, but a lot of people would, would say things like, don't make salvation about you. God did it for his glory. It's not about you. Yeah. It, it is about you yeah. because God loved you. Yeah, and like, he's glorifying himself by yeah, saving no, you. You're the workmanship of God, and he created you for his glory. Don't get me wrong, but it was for you, for us, and yeah. for our salvation, for, for us as a, as, as a as human race. So, like, to, to make a bifurcation between God does for his glory and God does it out of love for us is, if I could be blunt, insane counsel. <laughs> it is so deeply unbiblical. Yeah. And misunderstands the fundamental truth that God reveals about himself, that he is love. It, it's, it really is bonkers. Like it, yeah. it's like, I don't understand why you'd want to be a Christian and make that distinction as if you're, you're, you're like bragging about how God doesn't care about people. It's primary. Why isn't it the same thing? He made us. And then he became us to save us. They became like flesh and blood. You know what I mean? Sure. And like of it, course it's, he gets all the glory for it. But he gets it all the glory for it. Yeah. But it's yeah. the same thing. It's like not it's either not or. it's not either or anyway so yeah, maybe maybe in the in the notes like in the uh, description yeah. uh, for this episode you should put your put a link I'll, to your article I'll put my little article yeah it's just it's just some it's like bible verses put together but it's just yeah. such a silly debate in my opinion but anyhow as they are right, read to us okay so what were we i can't remember what i was reading i don't know oh i don't know yeah so on page 166 of our creeped uh abridgment of the summa um he's refined yeah craft dinner yeah um i'm not gonna read the opening sentence i'm just i just i loved the the um when in reply to objection four he says god loves sinners insofar as they are existing natures for they have existence and have it from him right so right off the bat why does god love us he loves us primarily because of his of of the existence that we have that he has granted to us and so existence mm -hmm. being is something by definition that is lovely whatever has it uh, and so then he says, insofar as they are sinners, they have not existence at all, but fall short of it. And this is not, this is, this in them is not from God. Hence, under this aspect, they're hated by him. So he's yeah. like drawing out this like crazy and intense distinction here between like God loves all being because being itself is something that he gives to that he grants and uh, being in and of itself is good and therefore worth, uh, is worth loving. Um and then he strikes this contrast that he's noting that to be just at the level purely of just thinking of the human not as existing, but now as a sinner, it's actually the the sin or evil, which is a privation, is a lack. And therefore, there's a falling short of these things. And therefore, God then has this particular kind of like, uh, I guess, I mean, he says the word here, hatred for it, right? Because of the hatred of sin, because it's a lack of being. Um, so, I mean, that's an interesting contrast that he sets up there. 
And because we uh, say love often, love the sinner, hate the sin. And he's not quite saying that. It's it's a bit different, right? Yeah. And and it's it's this kind of like either or that is put up um in, in objection four, where the where he, you know, there's a quote here that's given from Psalm five, seven, you hate all the workers of iniquity. So this is explaining how is it that God can hate. And so the objection is, can God to, to the question, can God love all things? Um, it's saying, well, if, it's almost like the same error that's being made that we were just talking about right. now with those who make this like hard and fast distinction between God loving and being and God glorifying himself. Exactly. And so here yeah. is like now nothing is at the same time hated and loved. Therefore, God does not love all things. And, and Thomas is like, it's not true. God actually does love all things, even though he can have a hatred for the human as a at the purely at the level of a sinner, he can still love them at the level of their being. I mean, a lot and of this so is they're... it's why it's okay to say you can say to anybody, God loves you. Um, yeah. it's true in 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 a variety of ways, not just between these two distinctions. I mean, it's true because there's sunshine. It's true because you're talking to this person in God's providence, and whether they believe you or not, or come to Christ or not, like the fact that you're there and a witness to a, a better way of life. It's just evidence of, of God's love. It's just, it's just, I mean, it doesn't have to be these miraculous great things. It's all the little things, but I think it's helpful too. I mean, it's, a, it's implying a lot about what sin is and all that kind of stuff. But like when you say sin exists, you're, what you're really saying is all the good stuff that God has given us, we've perverted and destroyed and we've made a wrecking ball of, or wrecking balls of everything around us. Just like Miley Cyrus in her song, Wrecking Ball. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had... Doesn't somebody Any... else? I thought, um, What's Maybe name? it's someone else. I, she, no, no, I know I she sang she that song, but. Uh, I was going to say Linda Ronstadt. It's not it. Uh, oh, my goodness. And she's one of my favorite singers. And I can't even think of who. Oh, okay. You you talk and I'm going to look up. Okay. You Google. Is. Just like you normally do. Read a book. Google while I'm talking. Same old, same <laughs> Shut old. <up>. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? I just think like there, there's just something really important here to think through. And yeah, basically God hates all the evil that we do. And Emily Lou Harris. Emily Lou Harris. Doesn't she have okay. a song called Wrecking Maybe. Ball? Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to check it up now. I'm only really into things like Taylor Swift. and. Oh, yeah. All, I knew you know. it. I knew it. Yeah. yeah. Emily Lou Harris has uh, got Wrecking It might ball. be a cover. That okay. might be a cover. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't matter, does it? Um, so let's. So I guess in a sense, this episode is going to kind of correct some confusions in a way too, right? We've been doing this with this, this, these couple of distinctions here, but then like right off the bat in question twenty, when he's asking whether love exists in God, he gets right into the the, the discussion of impassibility and right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Like, so in reply to objection one. So this is on. This is question twenty. Objection. Well, what is it? Maybe give what objection one is first. Right. For, the question reply. is: Does does God actually have love? Like does does Love exists in God, maybe is a better way to put it. And the idea is, okay, so we we affirm that God is impassable, so he doesn't have all these sort of modulated. Well, hold emotions. on, though, but like he says, the the objection is, no, God, it doesn't oh. exist in God because uh, there are no passions. Yeah, that's right. Love so here's passion, the objection. Therefore... I'll read it out loud. It seems that love does not exist in God, for in God there are no passions. Now, love is a passion, therefore love is not in God. Yep. And then Aquinas just says, read the Bible, First John 4, 16, <laughs> God is love. Yeah, but then he then he has to explain. I mean, the, the whole point about theology is explain what the what, what does that mean, right? So, um, he, well, the way that Aquinas answers, if I could just summarize it, maybe we could read is is look, um, what what is a passion? So a passion is something in us, in our bodies. Passion is like you didn't 
uh, you, uh, your son was up and he was really sick last night. And so you're really tired this day. So you're a little bit grumpy because you lack sleep and you didn't get breakfast. All you had is coffee. So your body's all over the place and your mod, you get angry and grumpy fast. <laughs> you were basically at my house this morning while I was getting, yeah, yeah. actually this is like the last two weeks of my life. <laughs> you, were spying, you were spying on me. <laughs> and then you get really happy because some endorphin kick happens. Like you said something on the internet and they're like, I liked your post. And <laughs> yeah. then after that, you have an ice cream cone and you're like, this is the best day ever then you're like oh no i'm lactose intolerant this is the worst (laughs) night ever that's what passion is that is what passion is because it involves aquinas as a bodily change it's part of your sensitive appetite and sensitive not like you're so sensitive but more like i have five senses seeing smelling touching and there's two others that i can't think of at the second and you're on a roll here (laughs) but God doesn't have flesh blood. He doesn't get hangry out of lack of food, nor does he get grumpy because he had a bad night's sleep. And the reason is because God is not a creature. Whatever is created and has matter is a creature. God is not a creature. Therefore, he has no matter. He's no stuff. He has no eyeball, nose, etc. Yeah, no sense perception. And even when the God, the Son, assumes humanity, he re- remaining what he was, he assumes what he was not. It's not the case that God stops being God and right. there's some kinetic thing that happens. So, okay, so that's passions, but then that doesn't mean you deny that God has love, joy, delight, all the good things. All you're really saying, Aquinas says, is that he has those without a body. Yep. <laughs> like, he doesn't have joy because he had a, has a sugar high or an endorphin high. Like, that's not how that works. He's, as Proverbs 8 says, he just delights uh, in, wisdom delights in God and all the created works. It's just what God is like. God is a fountain. You might, uh, I don't want to say fountain of delight because there's this whole like, anyways, but he's, like, <laughs> he is, he is, he is delight. He is joy overflowing his happiness. Well, in Christ, happiness incarnate, but happiness as God. And he does it in such a way that there's no modulations based upon hormones, based upon bad sleep, based upon bad food. He always can be love. He always can have uh, express his love through joy and delight and so on. So God, in fact, does have love joy, delight, all the things that we might call, say, passions or desires in us that are often twisted and corrupted by the sinful desires of the flesh. God has those without flesh because he's not flesh and blood. Yeah. And that's that's what he explains. I'll read his words so you can kind of hear it on page 165, reply to objection one. Yeah. Acts of the sensitive appetite, inasmuch as they have annexed to them some bodily change, are called passions. So sense, your five senses, body, passions, keywords. Whereas acts of the will are not so called love. And so love is particularly tied to will. It's key to this. Yeah, he argues love. that right in his answer. That. Oh, he does. Okay. Oh yeah. So, okay. Back there. Yeah. So love, therefore, and joy and delight are passions insofar as they denote acts of the sensitive appetite, but insofar as they denote acts of the intellective appetite, they're not passions. So an intellective appetite, weird language. It just means a being that doesn't have flesh and blood, essentially. I mean, there's a bit more to it, but like that's, yeah, it's, it, it's it just in God's nature. To... Yeah, it's like relates to these like faculties, right? So God, yeah. God has the faculty of intellect. Obviously, he also has the will. I mean, he's and just. I think the will of question is nineteen is there. all of quite all of question nineteen is all about God's will, yeah. is causal of everything. Yeah, the things we botched, <laughs> or at least the I the things botched. we botched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he says, and this is the key, is in this latter sense that they are in God. So they are in God. What the passions are in God only insofar, like no, not they, but the so more clarify love, um, joy and delight. These are in God. Only in the in this sense. So hence the philosopher says God rejoices by an operation that is one and simple. 
And for the same reason, he loves without passion. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you passionately. It's yeah. that he loves without endorphins in his body, creating a chemical reaction to say, ooh, I love you. That's what that means. Yeah. It doesn't mean he, he means he loves you in the way that only God can, because God, unlike every other thing in existence, does not have created stuff in him, like chemically, any, any human, I should say, any creature chemical um, composition in him that, that induces us to feel, let's say, momentary joy and delight in, in these, these effusions of love. No, God loves you perfectly. That's really, really good news. Or yeah. else he would love you according to his sleep patterns, which is really, really bad news. Yeah, subject to change, right? So subject to change. Because passions have that, there's this, this subjective to, subjection to change with passions. And because God's immutable, because again, he doesn't have a body, he's not a composite of anything. Uh, therefore, like the, the and and then how uh, in the on the contrary here on, on 164, he does link it straight to like that amazing text of John, first John 4, 16, God is love, right? right. It signifies his own being, like that his being is, is love itself, right? So impassibility is not at all meant to imply that we deny that God can love. Um, and by the way, you didn't say anything like, Oh, you use philosophy. What is the word is in grammar? It's a state yeah. of being verb. You yeah. know what I mean? Like sometimes people are like, you're too philosophical. No, is is a state of being verb. It describes the yeah, state of being. Like, come on. We, we use it all the time. It's just part of, yeah. again, I said Thomas being the philosopher of common sense, right? It's, it's, common just, sense. How, it's just, just the language that we use. Yeah, it's uh, and but you need but this it, common sense or else you have an uncommon sense, which is not good. Yeah. But this this whole this whole um, like opening in his eye answer that is just like so helpful for this kind of thing. Like he says, right. we must need to assert that uh, in God there is love because love is the first movement of the will and of every appetitive faculty. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so for since the acts of the will and every appetitive faculty tend towards good and evil as their proper objects. And since good is essentially and especially the object of the will and the appetite, whereas evil is only the object secondarily and indirectly, as opposed to good, it follows that the acts of the will and appetite that regard good most naturally be prior to those that regard evil. Uh, thus, for instance, joy is prior to sorrow, love to hate, uh, because uh, what exists of itself is always prior to that which exists through another. Again, the more universal is naturally prior to what is less. So this is not where I want to get yet. But uh, but, but there the, is something really cool he's about to say, so maybe you should read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's laying this groundwork for us. So uh, hence the intellect is first directed to universal truth, right, which is really cool. And in the second place to particular and special truths. Now there are certain acts of will of the will and appetite that regard good under some special condition as joy and delight regard good present and possessed. Whereas desire and hope regard good as not yet possessed. Love, however, regards good universally, whether possessed or not. Hence, love is naturally the first act of the will and appetite, for which reason all other appetite move, uh, all the other appetite movements presuppose love as their root and origin. For nobody desires anything nor rejoices in anything except as a good that is loved. Um, there was a thing in here, and I cannot find it for the life of me, that I was thinking that this he was going to say here. Well, he says, whomever there, in whomsoever there is will and appetite, there must also be love. Yeah. So, so we, every, like, everyone loves. Yeah. So so the idea here is that the, the will is oriented towards that which is good. And then love is basically wishing the good for that person or that thing that you're the object of your love is. Right. And so then it's it's located then in God in terms of his actual willing that had just been discussed in question 19. 
And so therefore, because God has will and will has this function relative to love, then it's necessarily the case that there is love in God. Well, he does talk about the end, like God is the, the God's love is the cause of goodness and things. Page yeah. seven. It might be in stuff. the second article that I was thinking of what, what he was saying. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So goodness calls forth love. The love of God infuses and creates goodness. I mean, God first loved us and we loved him, right? Like that's the whole first John thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, page. here. Yeah. It isn't, it isn't quite, it isn't the second article that I was thinking of. Yeah. We're, we're the things that like, uh, so all existing things insofar as they exist are good since the existence of a thing is itself a good uh now it has been shown above in question 19 that god's will is the cause of all things it must needs be therefore that a thing has existence or any kind of good only as much as is willed by god to every existing thing then god wills some good hence since to love anything is nothing else than to will good to that thing it is manifest that god loves everything that exists that's that's what i was thinking of right so what is the nature of God's love relative to the will? The will wills that would or is directed towards that yeah. which is good. And, and the only way love. to deny this is to say that like what God, something that God created is is evil or bad or he like hates. Like it's, it doesn't. It's it's almost nonsense to contradict this. Yeah. Whatever God created made is very good, and he it's it's so good. Of course, he would he chose he, he did it because it, it, it because he it's love essentially. So like, I think it's, it's kind of one of those things that's really hard to contradict once you start thinking about it. Yeah. But, but then Aquinas is really careful to say that there is a sense in which God does hate sin and in a sense, the non-existence of sinners. Right. Basically God hates our self-destruction. If you want to put it really like in, in more modern terms, God hates when we destroy ourselves. He hates that about us. And you know, there's, I don't know how it works. And like, you, you sometimes I think of heaven and hell, how this is going to work, but I mean, Aquinas kind of gets at it and he's not an annihilationist at all, but this idea that when you're in hell, you're essentially just self-destructive and it's just more and more non-existence, the more non-existence being defined as like if goodness is existence, right? It's all good. It's pursuing the, the opposite, like just destruction, perversion, corruption. Let the, let the, uh, let the thief steal some more, like kind of thing, right? Like it's a revelation or Johnny cash. Um, <laughs> and so, you, uh, you know, one of the things that we've talked about this before, but hell is so terrifying to me in a sense, because, it's just like the endless self-destruction of nothingness. It's yeah, like going it's to the edge an, of a cliff. You're endlessly turned away from the good. From the good. And it's Your only going to get worse. is now always perpetually skewed. And you're just right. further. You're just going to move further and further and further away for infinity. Like I think of being at the edge of a cliff and looking down. And there's a dark hole. There's no end that you can see. And there's no end in reality. Yeah. So it just gets darker. It gets worse. So like that's. I'm, I know that's maybe a little bit more of a metaphor or whatever. I don't know exactly what hell, be, but like, I just think of that a lot uh, when I can see hell. The third article is really interesting too, in terms of like the kind of degrees of God's love and even yeah. just how he quotes uh, from um, Augustine, Augustine on John, right. Where uh, in, Joan of Arc on the contrary, it looks like a Joan. Yeah. You want it. Um, so God loves first all things he's made. This is according to Augustine. Right. So God loves everything he's made, as he's just said that I did in the in the second article, God loves all things um, because of their being. And uh, and then it says amongst them, he loves rational creatures more. And especially of these, those who are members of his only begotten son and much more than all his only begotten son himself. Right. So you can see that, like, OK, here's that. that here's where that layering comes in. So God loves equally everything that has being because he's created. It has existence that comes from him. 
And then he has a higher degree of love for anything that is rational, right? Because it reflects him in his own rational being. So he loves humans who are who have a rational soul more than he loves animals that don't. Which is why a tree is not in God's image. Right. Or or your dog or something. Well, then, let's not uh, say that, that we, were, then, we would regret. <laughs> um and then not okay, so that's just rational creatures, right? Humans in general. And then he has a greater degree of love for those who are actually in union with his son. And then he has why is that the case? Because he has the highest degree of love for the only begotten son. I'm taking that here in relation to his human nature, right? Obviously, he loves the son, uh, that the the um uh, eternally begotten son in terms of the 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 Trinity. But here I think he's thinking in terms of Are you suggesting that God's not an egalitarian? Yeah. When it comes That's to love, not, yeah, he's not a communist. Doesn't uh, doesn't think we all get everything absolutely. This we... is a social program right here. No communism allowed. There you go. Only libertarian politics. That's it. Well, I was. I, this seems to me more like a kind of like ordered liberty. Oh yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Tory. Know. It's a Tory thing, right? You enforce yeah, we're Tory. God's a Tory. Yeah. Augustine's a Tory. There you go. Right. So the American <laughs> Revolution was sinful. Got it. That's right. Um, <laughs> But anyway, it's just it's just neat, like uh, just even the way Augustine yeah. frames it, right? It, it just makes so much sense. And then and then Aquinas is going to explain it in his you know his I answer that in terms of how it is the case that God can love things more, right? Because of the the, the twofold way. Get get uh, your angel thing. I think that's an interesting point. So right below in the fourth article, like how, how God loves us more than the angels because we have a greater need. That's crazy too. I love that, right? So yeah. even the angels he's saying are better than us in reply to objection to on 167. God actually loves us more because we have a greater need. Which might actually go into the next um question because when he talks about mercy, it's kind of it's connected to God's love. It's this idea that it goes beyond justice and there's a sense in which we need more mercy, you know, like yeah. however you want to think about it. Which we have mean, more yeah, need. Leads right into it. Um speaking of which, uh is there justice in God? Nah. Just I like there isn't love in God, right? Uh, just by way of introduction, um, when when he talks about justice, I mean, of course he says yes, because the Bible says the Lord is just and loves justice. Like, So Aquinas is always a Bible guy. But he does actually, interestingly enough, when he talks about justice, he thinks about, in a big picture, what is justice? And he talks about, um, uh, uh, how do you pronounce this? Cumulative, Commutative. Commutative. Commutative justice, sorry. Right. And distributive justice. Yeah. And what what's I just want to make a quick note here because what he's doing is it's the same thing if you ask like you just think in general about a topic like uh what is gravity or whatever. It's because God made everything, you're able to observe from the real world what things are and then reflect based on what how things are what the Bible is speaking about. And here it's really helpful because there's there's more than one kind of justice. And there's a kind of justice that doesn't make sense. Like God doesn't buy and exchange goods at the store. Because as the Bible says in Romans eleven thirty five, who has first given to him and right. recompense shall be made to him. Like God doesn't have this sort of communication, this, this communicative justice because he doesn't need that. But there is another kind of justice that he has, which is distributive justice, where a ruler or a steward or someone else is able to apportion to each person their just desserts, we might say. Yeah. It's really, really helpful to make like, like how do we use the word justice? Today? What is justice? Because there's, there's some justice that can be only true of humans and some justice that can only be true of God. And if you just close your mind to like what justice is, like, like, I, like I would say you should probably read Plato's Republic just for example, or else as John Calvin says, what does he say again? It's in book two. He says that you'll, 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 you'll receive the reward of your sloth. If you don't read, you know, the because the point is 
no, you don't have to read Plato per se, but you have to understand what, what is justice sure. in, in, in the human realm. And then you have to realize, okay, if that's justice, that's actually can't be how God, because he's the, he's God, right? There's no given, there's no exchange in the market or anything like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, because the, the, the community of justice, which, you know, results resorts to, or uh, refers to like the market, as you say, or, you know, like commercial life or something like that. It in, involves the notion of like an indebtedness between right. like parties you know? and God can't be right. God's not appear to any of us and he's, he can't be indebted to us in any sort of way. Right. Because everything is utterly dependent upon him. So he can't have commutative justice that way, but like the distributive justice is different. It's kind of like, it's almost political in a way. It's like a governor yeah. who, is who is distributing, you know, various sorts of things according to need and proportion. And so God has the distributive justice in that sense, right? which does overlap with the human justice, but the other one, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And he always does things equitably uh, in terms of distributive justice, according to the needs that we, you know, all you might, might uniquely have according to the different types of being we are. Um, so, I mean, he makes that exact case, right? He says the, this, the philosopher calls community of justice that directs exchange and intercourse of business. This does not belong to God since as the apostle says, you know, who's first given to him and recompense shall be made to him, Romans 11. Uh, he says the other kind of justice is in distribution called distributive justice, whereby a ruler or steward gives to each what his rank deserves. Uh, so you, your, your rank is so low, you get nothing, but I'll get more. Oh, uh, harumph. <laughs> and then uh, the proper order uh, displayed in ruling a family or any kind of multitude ev evinces justice of this kind in the ruler. Yeah. So then also the ruler, uh, the order of the universe, which is seen Ooh. both in effects and nature. Is he, and a, federal, that really is he cool... a federal vision guy, the ruler of the family? It must be, yeah, the yeah. federal head. He's probably reading those guys. Um, I don't think it's like federal, the federal husband's a great book. But, um, is it a book? I, I don't actually I don't know too much it. about that. But to be honest, oh, I'm just kind of no, being I mean, funny. <laughs> um, I love the quote that he gives from uh, Dionysius, right? In the, okay. uh, on the book on the names, he says, we must, we must needs see that God is truly just in seeing how he gives to all existing things what is proper to the condition yeah. of each and preserves the nature of each in the order and with the powers that properly belong to it. Right. So, good, so yeah, yeah is, is God just? Yeah, of course he is. It's not in a commutative way where anybody owes him and he owes somebody else. Uh, but rather it's in this distributive way, which is also why maybe thinking of political theology again, maybe, you know, Chesterton and Belloc's whole notion of dis distributism, distrib mm. dis distributivism. Oh, my goodness. I can't say it properly. Um, but maybe that's the better way of actually understanding things. because It actually reflects God. There's something I want to read in the second article. I don't think I fully understand. So you might have to help me. Oh, don't even. <laughs> but at the bottom of the I answer that there's something really cool that I think he says. Oh, in terms of the artisan? Well, yeah, it says the works of art are related to art. So like whatever we like, if you're going to make a sculpture, art is the thing that it's right. But works of justice are related to the law. Okay. But the law, as he explains, is actually God's wisdom. So when we're doing works of justice, we're like artisans of the original art or whatever you want to say to God's wisdom, as it were. It's just, it was just kind of a cool way of putting it, but I don't know if I fully understood if, if that's it. So he says... Maybe I'll just read out loud, then you can comment on it. Comment on it. It says, now as works of art are related to the art, so are works of justice related to the law with which they accord. Therefore, God's justice, which establishes things in the order conformable to the rule of his wisdom, which is the law of his justice, is suitably called truth. Thus, we also in human affairs speak of the truth of justice. Ah, there's, there's something kind of cool there when you're doing works of justice that kind of goes back to God's wisdom, which is how yeah. he orders. The law. There's something there. 
it seems something similar to like, you know, in Aristotle and like, you know, his ethics and stuff like that, where things are, you know, each some, you know, the human is considered flour to flourish when we're actually doing the things that we're made to be mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. that we're supposed to do. And so um, he says here with that too, right? Like in terms of art. So uh, the works of art are related to the art itself, which is proper to it. And so the works of justice are, yeah, it is weird. Like, so the works of justice related to the, uh, uh, so are works of justice related to the law with which they accord. Um, so each, each, each unique act that is to be considered just has to, it can only be in so far can only be considered just insofar as it actually follows the law that's appropriate to it. So it's almost like it's working out that particular end. Which is uh, sourced in God's wisdom, it seems to say, like justice. Yeah. It's just curious that he says, though, that um, it's suitably called truth. Well, he's trying to justify the earlier in the quotation, that mercy and truth from Psalm 84, and that truth here means the same thing as justice. Yeah. So he's trying to explain just, why truth can be justice. Yeah. Him, at least. I'm just not sure of like the suitability. Like, why is it like, why is it appropriate oh. to call it that? Right. So, um, yeah, I think because he, well, so in his I answer that, he says truth consists in the equation of mind and thing. Oh, yeah. Of, so I was just thinking, yeah. So mind, your mind conforming to reality. Yeah, okay. Or the opposite that totally makes sense now. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, I kind of skipped ahead. Sorry. No, but it was just cool. one of those things that I read and I was like, that's, there's something there. I don't fully grasp it, but it's kind of cool, like the way that he yeah. put it. Yeah. So if truth, if truth is the mind, as it says here, uh, is in the equation of the mind and thing, uh, which he argued in in question sixteen, right? So truth yeah. is it's my, your mind conforming to that which is real to reality itself, right. and so that it makes sense then, right? For justice, in the same sense, can be called conform to the because it conforms to the reality, right? And, God, and which is grounded in, in God's wisdom and law, right? Which is yeah. So you're when you do acts of justice, you're conforming to. Your, your mind is equaling whatever the prior thing is. But then the, on the other hand, it's interesting. He says that there's sometimes a converse um, where the mind re receives this knowledge from things. That's the common. I think that's more the common sense. Like I see this as a. Uh, yeah. And that's where you can dist distinguish. Measure. <laughs> so I see it and it is a tape measure, you know. And that's where you can um, make distinctions between true and false and things like that. Now, the third article in my mind is really, really cool. Uh, well, the third and fourth. It's on the idea of mercy. Yeah. And like, in I think relation to, in mercy in relation to justice, justice. Right. But this is really important because I think practically we we often see things and we're like, that's unjust. Like sometimes uh, like justice doesn't make we get, have this. We have this internal righteousness where we feel like if someone wrongs us, you mean like an internal self-righteousness? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like this internal like we just if someone wrongs us, we, we really get bent out of shape. And we feel as though it is not only right, but best for us to make that person know what they did and to have justice served if they, if they need to be confronted, whatever, confronted. Because and God I, is I, just and that's just God how is just. And, and that's and we listen to this. And by the way, I'm not saying that sometimes that is best for the person, sure. by the way. You might, uh, and especially with law, like governing. Yeah, and, and with governing and sometimes with a parent, like as a parent, you kind of have to let them know. But what I'm getting is this general sense. We always feel that way. But then. What's really, really interesting is that um, God doesn't always work that way with us. Right. In <laughs> fact, actually, it seems like he kind of like the the default way is actually not that. It's it's that he actually is dealing with us in terms of mercy. Yeah. Like, oh, I, look at the Old Testament. 
cries out for judgment and then you're like, it's been 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. When's God going to have judgment? He's too merciful. And it almost doesn't make sense. And, but maybe it does make sense. So, so what's going on here? If, if mercy is a relaxation of justice in the objection, this is weird because this, there's a contradiction then. But actually the Bible is, is um, smarter than us. James 2.13 says that mercy triumphs over judgment. So what does that mean? And then I think in reply to objection two, is that correct, actually? Yes. Reply yeah. to objection two on page 169, he, Aquinas explains. this is To me, this is profound. Um, I, love, I love this part. Do you want to read it then? All right, you can go ahead. So God I feel like I've read like large block quotes. Okay, here. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so. God acts mercifully, not indeed by going against his justice. And here's the key thing. But by doing something more than justice, more so, than it's not, so, it's just and more. It's not unjust instead of, but just and more. This is really yeah. key. And the more is actually like it's like it's a fuller expression of justice in a way. But anyway, yeah, he'll so get good. to that in a sec. Yeah. Thus, a man who pays another two hundred pieces of money, though owing him only one hundred, does nothing against justice, but acts liberally or mercifully. So you're giving someone more than they deserve. We sometimes call that grace, but this mercy. The case is the same with one who pardons an offense committed against him. For in remitting it, he may be said to bestow a gift. Love the gift. Hence the apostle calls remission forgiving. So the remission of sins. We talk about that sometimes. Man, this is key. So like Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. Someone sins against you. And in that moment, you know, this is not the right battle to win the war for this person's well-being. You, what you do is you release that person. Like you just mercy triumphs over judgment and you don't have to get your comeuppance against this person. Yeah. There may be a time where you maybe do need to do, but, but don't get me wrong. Essentially, we, we often think, oh, you can only forgive someone if they ask you for forgiveness. And maybe in that relational exchange, that's absolutely true. I get that or relationally true. But in the general sense, no, you can actually, if you're offended, if you're the offended party, it's your, they owe a debt to you. Yep. You can just give it back. Like you, you can forgive the debt. If someone owes you 10 bucks and you're like, I can never forgive them the $10. It's impossible. Everyone would say it's absurd. You could forgive the $10 if you wanted to, especially if you have a thousand dollars in the bank. No, it's absurd. So if someone sins against you, you're, they owe you a debt. You, you can just say, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. And, and when that happens with student loans, for example, like we all go great student loans are forget. We already, we know how this works in culture. It, it's not that the, in our, in, in different settings rather. So like it, it's actually okay. And this is hugely practical. Then he continues, go to page 170. He cites the Bible. <laughs> forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. And how has Christ forgiven us? By forgiving us of our debts. Yeah. Like it's straight. When I mean, we our debts to him. For it either, right? Like he, he's, he's extending mercy to us when we were yet sinners. When we were yet sinners. God, the, the crazy part about what you just said, I mean, it's crazy because it's true and it's grace, yeah. but like we didn't first love God. God yeah. first loved us, and then he he made love manifest, First John says, by bec becoming human and dying yeah. for us. It, it's insane. It's, it, it seems insane to us, but it's it's totally perfectly logical, but it's like beyond well, it's, it's quite really, The word you're really looking for is it's incredible. Incredible. Like, it's, it's, incre it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Like, unless, unless it's coming it's to just, your heart. And then, it's like too good to be true. And then he says, hence it is clear that mercy does not destroy justice. But in a sense, is the fullness of justice. That was I, so helpful when I read that. I was like, yeah. wow. And thus it is said, mercy exalted itself above judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is like so important. Like I, 
if we could if i could just have like the one hobby horse then, then i want you to finish because the next part's super cool um we often talk about like fundamentalism as being too we have all these complaints of grumpy mean people in the world cancel culture out there all this kind of stuff if we could really just just bring it down um at one level all of this is mercy sorry is justice without mercy but what does james say i don't know if you i think it's the next verse that if you don't show mercy then at one point you're going to experience justice without mercy too and so what ends up i think what ends up happening is that we think that we're just when we're grumpy when people make mistakes and all we're doing is being critical and mean and blah 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 but actually we're we're most just most like god when we have mercy and we are forgiving uh are these debts basically oh, I mean, the lord's prayer like come on um now the next part though i think is even is is not even more but it's it's equally important to realize um uh because it talks about like debt paid to divine justice and the work of divine justice oh yeah um i don't know if, i don't know if you read this or is careful but like just the idea that divine justice presupposes mercy the work of mercy anyways and is actually founded upon mercy yeah, like that's I mean, crazy. he's literally addressing the question of like whether in every work of God there are mercy and justice, and he's answering, yeah, everything that God does is, and it makes sense, right? If God's oh, if God is Himself just, everything He does is going to be just. But then, if just if the fullest fullness of justice is mercy, then yeah, He's doing He's everything He's doing is in that in that sense, right? And also, so like, truths are necessarily found in all God's works if mercy is connected to like the love of God, when he created everyone out of love, because love is wanting goodness to happen. That has to be prior than justice. It's prior to justice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's no, I need to punish you or give you this or that. Like, because love, mercy, grace, this creation, we're not owed that. If justice is given to what you're owed, you're not owed existence. That's yeah. mercy, grace, etc. And so mercy is, is literally prior in time, prior logically, and also prior in God because he's love. Whereas uh, distributive justice anyways is 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 after it in, in all those senses. Yeah. So it's cool too how he says here, you know, he's like not every defect can be uh, properly be called a misery, but only right. defect in a rational nature whose lot is to be happy. Right. right? So what is our lot like as a, as a rational being? What are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be happy. And so yeah, any, your point. any defect of that and then is the result of that is, is a misery, right? Because he says misery is opposed to happiness. And okay, so well, what, is, the... what is what is mercy then, he says, right before that, is a removal of that kind of defect. So right. that's what God's doing. So what is his mercy yeah. ultimately for? So that we can be happy, which is what and, we're intended to be. Right. And people are also like, you know, it's, it's for God's glory, not your happiness. It's the same thing. Yeah. God made you and his works are glorious and his works are the purpose of his glorious works is to be happy. So if we're not happy, like the happier we are, the happier we are, the more glorious God's works are. Like it's it's a both end all the way through. Yeah. I have to go like right away and watch my kids. So can I jump off? Sorry. No.